This week on the Magnificently Huge podcast, David Cronenberg and his oeuvre. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. It's like the fifth time I've done this intro because I don't know what to say about David Cronenberg. He's amazing. He has his own voice. He's sort of a horror filmmaker. He's sort of, uh, I don't know, a body horror aficionado, but he's not. He's about a lot more than that. He's a thinker. He's, he's a Canadian Fellini. He's, he's really awesome. Uh, he's made a lot of films. We'll discuss them all. You may have seen some of them. You may have some favorites. Um, but we'd like to hear from you, at any rate, if you do. We'll tell you how later in the show. Uh, this is one of those things, though, that I'm glad we finally did a show about because he deserves a lot more talk than he gets, I think. Let's just do the show. Welcome back to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. If it was any more Magnificently Huge Podcast, it wouldn't be the Magnificently Huge Podcast. I'm Eric. Hi, Eric. I'm Brian. Hey, Eric and Brian. I'm Chris. Hey. I would just like to say that, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. I thought it was called Electric Word Life Podcast. It me No, no. I was going to do Let's Go Crazy. You ruined it. I know. I was going to do my Prince thing. God damn it. It's very princely. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I had a question. Uh, I had a thought. Okay, let's imagine that. Uh-oh. Okay, okay. Fear, fear is a a physical thing, right? I mean, you you it's intellectually fear, know what fal- to be, you know what to be false, afraid of. False oh, evidence oh. appearing real. False yes. evidence appearing real. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but but it's a physical <laughs> thing. So you could invent a drug that would make you not be afraid, right? <laughs> you could. You could. You could yeah. like like tamp down whatever it is. So if they invented that. Would we give it to people on death row? Because then they wouldn't be afraid to go to the electric chair. Or is the whole point that we want them to suffer thinking about how they're going to be killed by the state? Yeah. Cruelty is the point. Right. If you take right. that it's, away, then what's why would have why would you have the death penalty? That doesn't yeah, make any sense. I realized this. Every argument about no, we need to keep we need to keep that mad dog off the porch by, you know, putting it down. It's like, no, no, that's not the point. The point is to watch them, you know, shake and cry and piss themselves. Yeah. You know, let's not lie to ourselves. I don't know. It was a thought I had, uh, mostly because I watched a whole lot of David Cronenberg this week. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, is that the topic this week? Shit. It is. Okay. Why? Okay. You didn't know that? Uh well, I've had a lot of shit going on, so it was tough for me to fit in uh, his entire oeuvre. So I'm going to be mostly running off of memory on this one. Right. Yeah. I don't so think which I thought would be a good take on it. I thought it would be a good take. This week, we're not so much going to like review every David Cronenberg film as yeah, discuss yeah, no his way. oeuvre overall, because I think I think he's got three acts in him. Uh, but we'll get yeah. to that after we, you know, take oh, a totally. big stinky fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is real. 
<laughs> oh, he said the magic words. I sure did. He said the it's magic words. it's the first shit where we talk about things we've been watching stuff. and reading and playing and doing. And yeah, it's stuff and things is basically yeah. the first yeah. stuff. Who and goes stuff first? I'll 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 get mine over with. So yeah. I mean, as you know, I've been I've been like sort of in in brain garbage mode for a while. We're gonna get back out there uh in the coming weeks, but uh last couple weeks have been kind of insular and um still watching star trek next generation finished off one piece on netflix but uh what i want to talk about uh this this week is another form of brain garbage just disposable television yay that that is is most of it but yeah oh yeah but but now we're into remodeling shows okay oh god yeah. You're not going to go back to that Canadian one, are you? Uh, no, the one I'm going to talk about now is is a show that we found on Hulu called Zombie Houses. And ah! basically, <laughs> it's it's this, this group of people in Florida that find, like, abandoned properties that are just completely gross. Like, they've... You know, they're crawling with bugs and they've been abandoned for years and, you know, they're buying them for a song. But but the real thing about this show, and I'm sure half of it is like staged for the cameras, but who cares, is that this team is not in any way, shape or form a team. Like they're really bad at communicating with each other and they keep doing (laughs) shit that the others disagree with. So like on the and 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 so every member of this team is Florida, man. And (laughs) Is like, that is that like? Do you think that's manufactured, or do you think that's I, real? Or they're I just that dysfunctional? I think some of it's manufactured, but it's gonna have some basis in truth. So, like in the first episode, you know, they buy this house, and and um, the designer guy, who's just this jackass, um, uh, he he's like, this house doesn't have a garage; it needs a garage. So he takes one of the bedrooms and he converts it into a garage, <laughs> reducing the square footage of this house they're trying to flip, and doesn't tell any of the other people. And they just show up, and he's like, "Hey, everybody, look! It's a garage now!" And they're like, "What the fuck, dude?" Um, <laughs> I saw. I did. I did. This is not what I thought you were going to describe. I, I somehow thought it was for people who wanted to remodel their houses to like survive a zombie apocalypse (laughs) so that it had like 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 parapets and 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 gasoline moats and (laughs) no that you fix the house but then it reasserts its badness no um (laughs) comes back from that's like like monster house almost yeah Yeah. no no this is just dipshits doing house remodeling like and some (laughs) so the stuff i think might be staged is like again first episode and like a pipe bursts and is just spewing water into the kitchen and the, the pipe is like right next to the fuse box and some dude is like trying to cut the pipe off not by you know like shutting off the water or anything sensible no he's got like a sledgehammer and he's bending the pipe with a fucking hammer to <laughs> shut it off literally next to the fuse box standing in water it's just it's just the dumbest this sounds shit like an awesome show frankly <laughs> i am not even being sarcastic i want to see people fucking up like this <laughs> oh god so yeah if you want to see florida man do dumb shit in the house um you know zombie houses on hulu is is has been uh some of our some of our brain garbage recently <laughs> i mean nice that's just 
fucking crazy. <laughs> I have no response to that. Just people being dumb on TV. It is so like it well, it ties in a little bit to some of the shit we're doing today because Videodrome, uh, I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and I just feel like 40 years ago, Cronenberg just nailed everything wrong with with <laughs> culture uh before it ever happened. And so I've been thinking about that a lot. So that's what that makes me uh gravitate to. It just seems like <laughs> like zombie house is a microcosm of just everything that's wrong. Yeah, well, it was kind of like a it was kind of like a how remodeling show red pilling for us. Like we started on this show called The Ugliest House in America where they yeah. they go through and they find like these really hideously designed houses and usually it's like this used to be a brothel or something like that, right? And and one house wins this remodel from this woman who I swear to god is so bad at designing these houses. The only show she's allowed to do redesigns on is the ugliest house in America. <laughs> uh, um, it's like, uh, it like reminds me that I can't remember the name of the show, but it was like, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, HGTV. But it was the one where the, like the designers and the construction guy would show up because the people wanted to, to remodel their house, but on a really stupidly small budget. Uh-huh. And then they would like help them cobble together shit from like a thrift store and then give them like assignments overnight. Like you got to paint this wall and do this and knock out and, like, <laughs> half the time. It was just like, like was the most half-assed job <laughs> ever. Yeah. It's Nothing just, does work better than a time limit. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, true. God. It's true. Everyone's a procrastinator. So yeah, we've I mean, been, yeah. we've been watching just, just the stupidest shit, but you know, um, Good times. I mean, times. nothing wrong with that. For, wrong for, with that. for me, half the entertainment is watching it with Jolene because because like she reacts to this stuff. And so she sees like, <laughs> you know, bad design or bad color. <laughs> matches, or or you see the house before it's you know been demoed. And she's like, oh, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, ah, you know, it's so just it's it's kind of like watching funny movies with Eric when he just loses his shit. You know, it's like. <laughs> Having a good audience really makes the yeah. experience. I was about to I ask mean, if you can get audio of her doing that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing. I mean, Eric is sort of like the gold standard for that sort of behavior, though. Like, I still remember the day that we went and saw swingers in the theater back in like 96. And I had another friend of mine with me uh, and she didn't really know Eric. And like through the whole movie, he's just doing like covering his face and going, no, don't don't know every time john favreau would start to do something just asinine and my friend robin is just like is he gonna be okay i'm like oh he's fine he does this all the time <laughs> yeah i i experience cringe on a personal level that's my problem yeah. it's amazing it's amazing <sighs> okay anyway so does this mean you're going to be doing a lot of uh like more home reno stuff oh fine? hell no no that okay. actually that's okay. the beautiful part about all of this i'm watching all of these shows about like people doing things to their houses and i'm like yeah i don't have any purge. house envy at all like our house is awesome ah <laughs> uh, good lord ah uh, okay well as long as you're not doing the canadian ones then you're okay well i mean some of them are canadian shows but you know why okay, what's okay, what's wrong okay. with the canadian ones what am i what am i missing here this is where you can uh, put in your tank to put all the uh maple that you get out of your trees and then you can yeah. sell it eh? and then and then here's where we cure the back bacon you yeah. have a molson they're just 
they're just like super polite because they're Canadian. So it's I yeah. Well, fuck them, huh? So yeah, yeah. And America's we can engage hat. in stereotypes yeah. with them because they're white people. Yes, <laughs> the last, the last bastion yeah. of insensitivity. Yes, yeah, yes. Unless they're from Quebec, in which case, fuck those guys. <laughs> Quebecois. <laughs> I'm kidding. Canada, we love you. We do. <laughs> We're coming soon. It is true. God damn it! Yeah. Hellhole. Uh, <laughs> For years, right. I've been trying to figure out how to become a Canadian citizen. I just love you people. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It starts with some Molson. Got to drink a lot of Molson. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who's know. next? <laughs> Man, that's a that's a slow ah, week for you, Brian. Okay. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, let me suggest a film. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Uh, part of yeah, the Wes Anderson, um, um, yeah, the Wes Anderson Netscape, Netscape cycle, Netflix. I guess. Netflix. What did I say? Netscape. That's a browser. Uh, the yeah, the not Netflix anymore, thing. <laughs> yeah, it is in our hearts. But um, yeah, yeah. So Wes Anderson made a bunch of short films. Uh, I think five in all uh, from Roald Dahl stories. And yeah. the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is the long one at 39 minutes. The With others Kennedy, are Kennedy Bumberbatch, whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bembedy Gumberdooch and uh, <laughs> Ralph Finnis. Yeah. Ralph, oh, that's Ralph good. Fine. Benedict Bandersnatch. Yeah. Benedict Bandersnatch. Dev, Dev Patel, uh, Ben Kingsley, and Richard Aode, which I. Aode. I, I love I him. Can, uh, yeah. I, I do too. Aode, I was Aode. really surprised to see him. But uh, have you have you seen ever watched Gadget Man ever no. or Travel Man? Travel Man is the one I would recommend because it's literally I've seen Travel Man. A, yeah. Doing a 30 minute travel show where he doesn't want to travel anywhere. Yeah. He's just yeah. so pissy about the whole enterprise every time. <laughs> oh, so all funny. of his scenes on uh, British uh, chat shows and game shows are just yeah. the shit. Um, him and Noel Fielding are, are are like a great comedy team on those shows. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, you know, those, uh, five actors and they're, they each play a couple of different parts. And I swear every time I'm sure every time Ray Fiennes gets the call from Wes Anderson, he's like, yay, I get to be goofy again because he always does so well at being just a goof. Um, I mean, at this stage, it's it's like when you watch a Wes Anderson thing, it's like, well, who is the new actor in this little enterprise? Because he uses mm-hmm. the same people over and over and over. So, but then he adds in a new one each time. I think this is yeah, the just, just to mix the, it up. Yeah, Benedict is, I think, the new addition, or maybe Dev Patel. I'm not sure. But all yeah. I can say is, like all Wes Anderson, it's very well done. It is a very well told story. Of course, it's Roald Dahl, so like the storytelling is taken care of. There was a scene though when uh, uh, he, the main character, describes walking through the forest. The way he does it, because Wes Anderson is like an animator with toys, right? Mm-hmm. He does this thing where the jungle is separating. And I swear, I I, I almost cried. I gasped at how beautiful this, this thing was. It, <laughs> it is so well done. It is so wonderful. And it's a story within a story within a story. It's, ah, yeah, yeah, highly recommended. And it's not that is long, that- so it doesn't take much time. Yeah, I mean, is that his new thing now, though? Like to do like a weird Russian nesting doll narrative in everything? Because it seems like so. the last couple, it's just been like story inside the story with another story tucked in there for good measure, just for shit. Yeah. 
and giggles. I think so yeah. because he doesn't want to waste time on you know yeah. like inner monologue. You know, it's like let's right. cut to the chase. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, did, I, 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 I hear they. I hear they keep all of the the roll doll uh, racism intact. And which is interesting to me. I understand that comes up in poison, which I haven't gotten to yet. Okay. Uh, but so far, just um, I didn't. I didn't get a sense of the racism in in okay. in uh, Henry just, Sugar. Yeah, I'm just quoting some weird headline I saw randomly scroll through my right. feed. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't read the story because I didn't want right. any spoilers. But yeah, the real but thing also, I want to know is to, not to, to, to capture Roald Dahl's hatred of children. No children in it, so yes. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he's still one of my favorite authors ever because he made his name writing kid stories, and he fucking hates children. It just makes me laugh every time. Yeah, (laughs) it's so funny. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Fuck it. Yeah, so good. Good movie. So, so you haven't watched the whole thing yet. You'd still kick, kicking through. I watched the main one. I watched Henry Sugar. Okay. The I haven't watched the shorts all yet. I watched. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's not true. I watched. I did watch Poison. I had to because it involves a man uh, uh, in his bed with a snake, and the two people trying to help him get rid of the snake. And my wife was like, "I'm not sure I can watch that because she has a crippling fear of snakes." So I watched it on my own to see if it was okay for her to uh, watch it. Show a little backbone, will you? Yeah. Uh, I have I, the same fear of spiders, so we we get each other's backs all the time. Interesting. Yeah. My wife's scared of clowns, so that doesn't really come up as often. But when no, it does, but oh, if you do oh, see oh, a, a clown, oh, at least you get to beat one to death with a shovel. That's what I do when I see a snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's more like she'd make me do it because she'd be too f- afraid to get close. So that's what I'm saying. Be the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly I, what I, I'm saying. <laughs> and I don't have anything particularly against clowns. I don't have anything for them. So it would just be me like, you know, middle of the road, just like beating a guy to death with a shovel just because. Exactly. Yeah. There's something in it for her and there's something in it for you. Nothing better yeah. than taking a human life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yay, verily. Okay. <laughs> Actually, if you give him some anti-fear drugs, because then he doesn't care. Yeah. See, that's I a mean, callback. It's called heroin. That's that's what the anti-fear drug is. <laughs> I think we all know. Uh, so that's that. Yeah, watch it. Good. And doesn't take okay. much of your time. All right. Okay. Anything else well, on your end, Eric? No, nah, I'll keep it there. All right, Chris, bring it. Uh, I've just been watching a lot of mindless TV. We're still getting through MASH. Like all 11 seasons. I think we're like halfway through. Radar's still around, so we're not in the weeds oh. yet. But... Uh, that mm-hmm. reminds me. They uh, uh, like goodbye, farewell, and amen. The final episode is on yeah. YouTube for free, and yeah. I did end up watching that. And that show towards the end was really just not funny. And I don't mean too serious. I mean all of their jokes. They're not funny. It is such a I dated mean, show for comedy. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. What rewatching it from the beginning. So we're what six seasons in now. Like Winchester's there, Radar's about to leave, uh, and then you get what it was going to be for the rest of its run. It slowly dawned on me watching them in order that the whole show literally is about the slow, steady decline of Hawkeye's sanity. Like you can literally see it from from episode to episode where they start showing him 
crack <laughs> just a little bit here. So by the end, he's like in the loony bin and Sydney has to come in and talk him down because it's just the horrors of war. So mm. that that's my takeaway from watching. It was a baby. Like... <laughs> he smothered her baby. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's not what I want to talk about. I've been reading more lately uh, and I found it for a song so i i picked it up it's called ministry of ungentlemanly warfare uh, <laughs> by a guy named damian lewis it's basically about the the beginnings of black ops as we know it uh during world war ii uh this one's soon to be a movie by guy Ritchie, starring henry cavill that makes sense uh, but it's literally just this you know barnstorming root tootin uh war yarn about all of these just randos that <laughs> join forces that have no uh respect for authority etc they're just like the ragtime i mean it's literally like every uh idea you have of these guys writ large and it's all true but like their first mission was they they did a like rode a fishing boat uh around through the straits of gibraltar into the mediterranean to land in africa uh was one of them and then another one it's like something off of the the coast of africa and some island where they literally like steal two giant ships that are anchored in a harbor that the nazis are using and that was like their their litmus test <laughs> so churchill's like giving them the go-ahead but everybody's waiting them for them to fail because it's not you know the normal rules of war yeah and it's just funny and they're just flouting uh, authority left and right and scrounging and it's literally like watching uh kelly's heroes but it's real it's just so strange and so it 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 just it just it's just fun if you like world war ii stuff uh it's just written like a like an adventure tale but it's and it's my only the real stories is it the, yeah. the actual stories because that's that a whole <laughs> bunch of that shit is real yeah yeah i mean it's it's so ridiculous when you read it you're like this is no way this is true but it's all yeah based on historical fact and the records and blah 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 so it's just a fun read uh my only complaint is that it, it literally it's one of those things where it's like it just glorifies war it gives you all of the horrific things but when you're reading you're going i don't care that sounds like fun man okay <laughs> yeah. blow up a ship kill a nazi fuck yeah so it was a quick read but i recommend it if you like that sort of thing but it's just about how the sas started uh and then the other one i read was i found it randomly it's called the troop and it's you'll you'll like this one eric i would recommend you read this one but it's guy by a guy named nick cutter and it's basically about a a boy scout troop in or whatever the version of in canada uh doing uh a camping weekend on some remote island and it turns out that some rando dude who's been infected with some experimental tapeworm uh who busts out of the lab and the whole nine yards he winds up on this island and scuttles his boat and then they all get infected one by one so basically it's just this gross uh so it's it's shivers basically <laughs> it's basically yeah it's like shiver well and the the, the author said stated that cronenberg's one of his uh idols oh it says basically yeah and so basically when you read the troop it's literally like if lord of the flies was written by stephen king because it's got like elements of dream catcher it's got elements of shivers i mean it's just this crazy but literally it's about like 12 13 year old boys 
who slowly uh, go insane uh, or get infected. So literally no one gets out alive. I'm not ruining anything for you because you can pretty much tell. Uh, but it's a good quick read, but it's definitely one of those apocalyptic things that you like, Eric. And so mm-hmm. I would recommend it to you because I'm reading it. I'm going, oh, Eric needs to, to do this. <laughs> this is right up his alley. It's it's pseudo apocalyptic. It's just gross. Blah, blah, blah. So, And as long as you mention it, have we ever talked about how batshit bonkers Dreamcatcher is? We it have. Really have we? Is, right? That is so what the fuck are you doing? I mean, this is like the yeah. height of cocaine. It has to be. Yeah. No, no. He is King wrote Cujo while he was snorting just shit tons of the Peruvian snow. And he doesn't remember writing Cujo. He said yeah. it on many occasions. He's like, I'm glad people like it, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to wonder if he ever vibe. picks it up to read it and goes, okay, this is not bad. This guy sounds yeah. like me. Yeah. So it's fun. So that's, that's been my reading material this week. And that's been uh, interspersed with, I've been rewatching the show bottom with Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson, which mm. was like, a, it's a show they did for the BBC in the early nineties. They did like three series, but basically it's, if you take uh, their characters from the young ones, it's sort of that vibe, but it's like 10 years later. And it's just these two knuckleheads that live in this really gross flat in London and are just always trying to mack on chicks, but are so inept at it because mm. one of them's a virgin, but Rick Mayo plays a guy named Richard Richard and they call him Richie and he's just this he's he's just how do like, they not call him dick dick I'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah well I think that's the it's hinted at yeah, uh, but, but everybody just, just is say. afraid of him yeah but everybody's afraid of him because he's just really psychotic and then Adrian Edmondson plays a guy named Eddie Hitler <laughs> yeah is <laughs> the more affable of the two but most of the shows are just them and they're flat uh just beating the shit out of each other in very Tom and Jerry comical ways when they get upset with each other. Uh, there's like no real plots to them. They're just anarchy from the get go. And I had totally forgotten their show. Uh, so if you, if you enjoy the, the stylings of Rick Mayo and a, a Denmanson, then the bottom is definitely what you need to check. out. I think it's on, uh, Amazon prime right now, if you want to watch it. But, uh, if you like the young ones, you'll dig it. But that's sort of where I'm at. I'm like reading history. I'm reading horror and then I'm watching like the most ridiculously stupid <laughs> British comedy from 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm all over the place. So, you know, that's called that's, that's, that's yes, that's that's yeah, Chris yeah. to us. Eclectic. <laughs> I mean, I don't try. It just happens, man. It just happens. And hey, I never that's why we keep you around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never really thought about how fucking weird I am until Brian started pointing out all of the weird shit that I'm into when we talk. <laughs> it just never occurred to me that it was weird until it was pointed out to me. <laughs> so I, I guess I didn't never picked it up until uh, Tanya and I came out to visit you guys, and you know, you you visit us at the door. We come walking in, and you've got Kelly's Heroes on the TV, and I'm like, oh, he's yeah. not kidding. He watches this show all the time. <laughs> I do. I do. I am not kidding around with this shit. Chris, oh, like, no, it's, it's, it's a fine film, but it's yeah. like most people don't love Kelly's Heroes. Like, you know, they they watch Kelly's Heroes. They're they surprised been, by it. Chris has been on a sick day <laughs> in 1978 ever since then. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, once the price is right is over and you get tired of the, the reruns, find something to watch. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks go. for that. I feel like I should be a Cronenberg character. That's what I feel like. Shall we get into it? Yeah. All right, Eric. Uh, All right, give us your give us your pitch. What's the okay. deal here? So, David Cronenberg, Canadian filmmaker, uh, uh, once a a purveyor of low budget horror schlock, uh, had had a number of films that were really fun, you know, horror films made for very little money, and slowly became art. He has this thing where he loves the characters who need things and go dives into characters who have needs that they they're trying to satisfy to the extent expense of any other character information i yeah. is just interested in these people and their the how do, how do you, needs. yes yes <laughs> yeah. their drive to satisfy something um, to the point of obsession let's be real. yeah and but what I love the most about him is that he doesn't judge any of it. That's why I think people get turned off by him is that he doesn't he doesn't have a character that is addicted to blood or money or whatever, and then say, and they're bad people. That's something you should not do. No, he didn't do that. And that's what I love about mm-hmm. him. He has I mean Yeah, sorry, God. I, I just like the fact that it doesn't matter what movie he's made. It literally every single one feels like he made it for himself and fuck you if you don't like it. That's his yeah. attitude. And I, I love him for that. <laughs> and he's never lost that. Like mm-hmm. he just, I mean, his early stuff, he would get hammered uh, by all the moral pearl clutching and the outrage. And he'd be like, well, don't watch it then. Jesus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> sort of like, and that's been his entire attitude. And it's, it's always punk rock in a way. And so yeah. I've always appreciated He's like an approachable David Lynch in that way, right? Like, yes, he's gonna, exactly. Gonna make- what he makes and but i think he's more uh yeah a little a little a little bit more familiar for the average mm. audience on some you level yeah you know who i yeah. think he's a lot like john carpenter i bet the sure. two of them groove on this stuff a lot because they both have similar arcs yeah and and and, and yeah yeah they have a target they know exactly what the fuck they want to talk about and they do it to the expense of any criticism. Uh, yeah. And I kind of had, had gravitated to that. I'm like, who is the most like Cronenberg that I can think of? And Carpenter was probably the first one I thought of. But it's it it falls apart under scrutiny, though, because Carpenter never really uh, explored a lot of outside genres. Mm-hmm. Whereas by the end of Cronenberg's career here, he's just he's done gangster. He's done like weird psychodramas he's done i mean he's just he doesn't care he's like i'll just do whatever is interesting to me and if it makes money that's great oh yeah i i mean like any comparison really falls apart i think but especially here because uh i don't think john carpenter cared you know about uh, the overall message of his films whereas you know cronenberg is smart enough to at least know that going in you know yeah do you, yeah, do you uh, like Cronenberg because he's uh, an atheist? Like he's just been on record to say, yeah, I don't believe in God. Basically, we're just meat sacks running I through the universe until we die. I mean, I don't know that it, it, the atheism is what turns me on, but I do like that. Again, he doesn't he doesn't come in with his own sort of moral preconception 
of any right, of these right. stories. Like when okay. we get to crash, I can talk about that a lot more. But here's let's the idea of of Cronenberg in three acts. We've right. got his sort of early Canadian horror films. Skipping skipping the shorts he did. Um, so there's Shivers, Rabid, Fast Company, The Brood, Scanners. And this ends with Videodrome. Okay. So 83 is your fulcrum point for his. Okay. Yeah. that's. I think things turn on Videodrome. That's when people really internet. Well, I mean, everybody notices him during Scanners, but yeah. Scanners is still just a high budget, low budget film. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I've still never seen Fast Company, but that always just seems goofy to me on that CV. Because it's like, mm. <laughs> here's all these just fucked up movies with weird themes and then you get fast company which just is a movie about drag racing it's like mm -hmm. he obviously made that one for a buck and <laughs> yeah. so it's just this weird outlier uh, the only and it's the same year as the brood so it makes sense that you know it, it was yeah, probably yeah. part of a deal yeah yeah so to, to me the only two that had ever really got my attention were scanners and videodrome and, and scanners oh, puts yeah, cronenberg yeah. on the map right it's the iconic yeah. scene where there's these telepaths and basically the the whole ideal is that you know a telepath can make someone's head explode on and cue. cronenberg yeah. is like we're putting that on film like we're going to figure <laughs> out how to film an exploding I mean, yeah. head and, and but that to me is, is the, so i mean i like scanners don't get me wrong it's a it's fun but it's still you know an obviously low budget canadian deal and it's all centered around that that head exploding. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> it's sort of like uh, if you if you mention Cronenberg, that's literally the first thing I think most people gravitate yeah. to. Oh, he made the head exploding scanners. Uh, so in that regard, it's sort of like when Halle Berry was in that movie Swordfish. It's like the only reason you watch Swordfish is because you get to see her tits. That's literally it. That seems like that's yeah. the money shot is the head explosion. Uh, so for and, years i didn't watch any of the, the earlier stuff and it took me a long time to get to that but yeah. it's just weird yeah and it's it, it, i guess i guess we should probably say from the beginning also the through line for everything cronenberg is body horror he is like the king of yeah, body yeah. horror i, I believe of, they coined the phrase to describe his movies yeah he's the <laughs> king it's sort of like a like carpenter uh is sort of revered as the king of the slasher films because he he sort of refine the genre to the point where that's literally it with Halloween. Mm -hmm. Cronenberg gets gets the body horror moniker. Right. And he doesn't he doesn't really care for it, but you know, it is what it is. What but do? yeah, but I mean he does understand that there is something creepy about, you know, <laughs> your body right. morphing right, right. on you. And yeah, yeah. it seems to like Rabid. I, I watched Rabid for the first time in a long time last night. Same. Wonderful vampire zombie movie if it was one but it's not <laughs> like the thing that gets me out rabid is that like it's well first of all he cast marilyn chambers at the height mm -hmm. of her infamy and that just weirded out so many of the moral high ground folk that mm -hmm. it caused a big stink and i guess that helped ticket sales but what makes me laugh about rabid is that it's like a not a normal like zombie eating heads kind of thing it's like literally it's a, a mouth that opens up in her armpit and like a little stinger comes out and then the whole yeah. thing becomes this weird allegory for like stds yeah it's so yeah goofy <laughs> oh, and yeah it's and, fun to watch. and yeah and everybody turns into like you know uh, a flesh-eating maniac after she's yeah. infected them yeah um 
and, and, and yeah, and she she keeps you know zapping all of these. Canadian dudes are funny looking. Can we agree? I've been saying that for years. Guys from Canada are just funny looking. And all Unless of them are kind of uh, debatable, but they like all. Okay. They, yeah. They're, they're all these funny looking Canadian guys are hitting on the porn star. And then she, you know, kills them and turns them into, you know, flesh eating monsters. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, and I did. And I, and I first, I saw shivers for the first time, like four or five years ago. And I mean, it's it's obviously restricted by its budget, but it's also just at that to me is like everything you get from a Cronenberg. That's like the the template moving forward because mm-hmm. yeah. it's just got all of the weird nutty shit. But like even in one scene, you go from like uh, humorous to what the fuck to like the grossest thing you've ever seen put on film. Yeah. I mean, it's like in the middle in the middle of like one minute, <laughs> and that to me is perfectly defines Cronenberg is when he does that kind of shit. Yeah. You're like, oh, I feel gross, but I'm also <laughs> entertained. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So that's what I and that's what I love about his evolution is he doesn't let go of the the love of showing the gross, weird, fucked up thing, which is why he's the body yeah. horror guy. But yeah. even as he gets more interested in the sort of inner monologue of these these people with issues, it's like he keeps the fucked up head nest in there. Scanners is just kind of a a, a crummy uh, telekinesis spy movie. But then Videodrome, yeah. Videodrome. is yeah, long live yeah. the new flesh. That is that's a fucking some, great yeah. film. To me, this I mean, is Videodrome all, is is the sort of real ur yes. text of a Cronenberg film. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, this is where I, it's at. I mean, you look at his his whole filmography and like i look at it i'm like videodrome is pretty much that to me is his, that's yeah like, that is everything everything cronenberg in one movie and it's so funny because it tanked when it came out like everybody was just not prepared for it i think yeah because there's a lot going on in that one and that to me is i think what i like most about his style is that he he deals with some heady stuff but he dresses it in this just like pseudo horror kind of a thing but it really makes you think and video drum especially is is sort of like you have to watch it several times in order to kind of mm-hmm. figure out the layers that are going on and that's what i love about it but it's got literally everything and the fact that it's so prescient to the reality show culture and the internet and everything internet that happened 40 years later yeah it's right. just nuts but it just and, landed with a giant thud yeah and i could never understand if this was a parallel to sex addiction or which didn't exist yet or cocaine but it is a you know a man who he he runs a pirate cable uh station which i i love the idea of pirate cable that was something Mm -hmm. that people Mm -hmm. were talking about in the 80s because we didn't have the dark web yet but yeah and he discovers this bizarre channel where they appear to be doing snuff films and it starts slowly warping his mind, yeah. which is the point of the channel. Oh my God. And Deborah well, Harry's in get, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deborah Harry, well, and then you get, her, her acting career sort of <laughs> didn't really go anywhere, but this is sort of her big moment. Here's the thing. This is a movie where Deborah Harry actually appears topless and that's not the big thing. Like, like monsters ball, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, this is Videodrome. It's more interesting that James Wood is sticking his head into the television that is broadcasting Deborah Harry's yeah. mouth. mouth. Or he's like, yeah, yeah the yeah. television is literally or he's, eating him. Yeah. Or he's like whipping the TV with the woman getting all. Like, yeah. 
sexually yeah. aroused. I mean, it's just there's a lot of fucked up stuff in Videodrome. But it's and it's, it's not and not for the weak of heart. So it's all practical effects. It's a three. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's, it's what's his face? Is it uh, is it Rick Botin? I can't remember who did uh, it. Rob Botin, probably. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the best practical um, makeup effects of the time, right here. Oh yeah. In in it's Videodrome, good. and yeah. some of the best James Woods around too. Like yeah. this is just a solid ass movie. It's it's definitely a good arc to lead to. I will give yeah. an honorable mention to the Brood though from '79 because it's literally like he saw Kramer versus Kramer, and then he was going <laughs> through his own divorce and custody battle, and so he he did a movie about a woman who's parthenogenically creating murderous children to enact her <laughs> vengeance on everybody it's like this is it's such a fucked up movie and it's it's not it's not for everybody i'm just gonna say that but yeah. a shout out to the brood which i'd seen for the first time recently eric just, you, you know you, you mentioned the thing about you know so many of these movies have at least the element of sort of the body changing and in ways that are maybe you know scary or unsettling and I mean, I, I have to assume that some of that is just, you know, tapping into people's general fear of mortality, that your own body betrays you slowly over a period of decades. And yeah, um, and that, that is one of the reasons why people sort of recoil at this, but also feel it so intensely. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I actually it's funny, you, you, Chris, you mentioned the atheism. And I know that Cronenberg has said that, you know, part of his belief of being an atheist is that this is it and your body is everything you know you yeah. y- you exist physically and so like when he fucks with a character's body like that in such a horrifying mm. way and they're living in their horror there's no escape and i think the funny thing is if you do believe in god if you do have that you you sort of have to come to terms with well then why is this scary why, if you think that when you die, you're you're going to leave your body behind and everything is going to be wonderful, why would you be at all freaked out by turning into a blood zombie or you know any of the things that happen to people in his movies? Eating yeah. plastic, you know, this should this should just be nonsense to you because you're going to a greater reward. In a funny way, yeah. I think it's it is actually yeah a an ad for nope, this is it. <laughs> this is all yeah. you get well like i said yeah it, it, we're all just meat sacks at this mm-hmm. stage but the, so, the fact that he marries that with uh like just this weird existentialism and then every movie of his has this underlying hum of just dread yeah I mean, it's just inescapable and it doesn't matter which one you're watching that's always the feeling that i get once i'm in like 10 15 minutes i'm like oh god but like, they, gonna, I'm either going to off myself or I'm going to be entertained. I can't tell which just yet. What I what I also love though is that he always pulls out. He always sticks the landing in such a way that there is hope, but it's their kind of hope, not your kind of hope. Like right. the the yeah the long live the new flesh ending of Videodrome. You know, is it's 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 sort of a suicide, but it's also really an acceptance of yeah. <laughs> what is but yeah exactly yeah now videodrome came out the same year as the dead zone but i'm pretty sure that he directed the dead zone first it, it was just a directing job no writing no producer just directing so yeah. it, that was probably his money gig to come out with videodrome mm-hmm. and I mean, the dead zone is 
was a was a was a really great you know eh, wasn't really great but it was it was the one that did well in the box office yeah. that's why i think 83 I mean, is really his year it's it's reasonable but it's also read this that like carpenter was doing christine mm-hmm. so it's like they're he's it's cronenberg flirting with the big studio thing yeah uh so it's just it's it was kind of a shift but you can tell when you watch it you can tell he's trying to do the cronenberg thing but he's hampered by the source material he can't really a weak ass script do, i mean yeah. it's an anthology it's it's like four short stories it it, it could have been the twilight zone movie i every time yeah. i go back to it i go really really yeah. you couldn't write a whole movie out of one of these well it's weird when you watch it because you look at his uh filmography moving down uh and he's got a lot of adaptations of novels but i don't know why the dead zone just falls flat for me maybe it's because mm. it's stephen king and most of his stuff does but it's it's just weird because when you look down the line and you get like crash or naked lunch or and mm. butterfly or whatever i mean it's they're always very well done adaptations but they're also very him Whereas yeah. the dead zone it feels like a like a director for hire kind of a thing when he does the adaptation then it's really you know it's well done he right. like respects the source material enough uh right, right i think again dead zone was something done by committee uh yeah that's that's why it yeah eats. it's a house payment it's a house payment. but yeah but then but now we're in this second act of david cronenberg of his sort of hollywood success era you know the just just want to point out that before that happens as with david lynch cronenberg was considered to direct return of the jedi at one point no right he was yeah and he basically said no i'm good how are either one of those the sensible name to plug into that movie like what the fuck are they going i mean you gotta give him you gotta give lucas props at least you know what i mean he's trying to make it interesting i think george lucas must have been like i don't want to direct it i want to you know i want to like manage from higher up but i need somebody who has some kind of vision uh (laughs) otherwise otherwise i'm going to be creatively taxed i'm going to have to tell them what they should be doing i want somebody to and of course whoever they picked for return of the jedi was the wrong choice ladies and gentlemen richard marquand acclaimed visionary director richard marquand yeah uh, well it's just uh, funny that that like jedi comes out in 83 the year of videodrome and (laughs) dead zone yeah it's just a weird yeah anyway yeah and then Um, you've got okay so this this era of films then it includes the dead zone the fly my mom saw the fly everybody saw the fly everybody saw the fly (laughs) right and it's dead ringers oh go ahead yeah do you do you count uh naked lunch as the end of this particular or i do not past nope okay uh the the whole thing is like the end uh it's okay dead zone that his his sort of successful hollywood attention era i think right is the dead zone the fly dead ringers naked lunch because it still had a lot of attention and yeah, butterfly yeah. which was a big deal adaptation that failed and crash which just about ended his career yeah. <laughs> it's interesting okay now the the so what what's your take on the fly have you watched it recently uh it's- yeah it's great oh it you. still hold it still holds up it still holds mm-hmm. up it's crazy yeah as my wife says is- jeff goldblum at his sexiest <laughs> <laughs> when, his, when his like vomiting on his food and his jaw falls off right now but for me and so it comes out in 86 so we were what like 
15 ish. Yeah. Uh, this was probably my introduction to Cronenberg. This is a lot of people's introduction I, I mean, to Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was aware of the others, but I hadn't been old enough to really watch them. And so when The Fly came out, the, like it got big splash, was a big, huge success. Uh, and that's when you start going, well, yeah, he's the guy that did scanners and theodrome, blah, 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 blah. And then you start investigating that. That was, I think we were yeah. at that age where it's like you, you go backwards from The Fly to kind of catch up. And uh, what I think is funny about the release of The Fly is how big of a deal they made that it was produced by uh, uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, Mel, Bro- thank you, Mel Brooks. Like they didn't want to say David Cronenberg. It's like you know Mel Brooks. He's he's funny. He's happy. You like yeah. Mel Brooks, uh, which is but, yeah, which is really a weird parallel because Brooks also produced Elephant Man for David Lynch, which was also mm-hmm. one of those fulcrum movies to to kind of boost his career. Yeah, it's so strange. And The Fly is like a perfect adaptation for Cronenberg, again, because it's a guy body whose body horror. is turning on him yeah. and his obsessions that's, that change him. But it's also an adaptation of a cheesy 50s B science yeah. fiction. Right? You wouldn't yeah, yeah. think there would price. be any depth to be found in that. <laughs> It's it's but there is by f- it's it's like when you get that cover song that becomes the dominant version of the song, right? Like yes. the fly, this is the fly, exactly. And and it's yeah. I remember so the tragic, first time though. I saw yeah. it was like I was literally like at a you know we're like fifteen, right? So it was like at a nightclub. It was like a teen nightclub, right? And they're playing dance music and da da da, but you know, off in one side room, they're playing the fly, and it just gripped me, and I just sat there and fucking watched the fly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I watched it when it came on like Showtime or something. But uh, the the I mean, still doing practical effects because you had to. It was the eighties, but they're so good. They're amazing. I mean, I watched it recently, and I'm like, I'll take this over any of the CGI shit that they'd have to pull now. Just no way. Yeah. And it wasn't calculation. It also wasn't about the horror, which is another thing I love about him because there, there isn't, it isn't possible to have a jump scare in one of his films. It's, mm. it's about the, the fear of what's going on. You know, like right. not, you, you, you're not afraid necessarily of Jeff Goldblum killing you. You are Jeff Goldblum and you're worried about yeah. what's happening to you yeah. as you watch it. Well, it's like you get to the end and he puts the shotgun in his mouth. <laughs> what's left of his mouth and, and gina davis has to like blow his head off i mean that is so tragic and it's like yeah i'm not going to say that it makes me cry but i literally i get a little lump in my throat when i watch it uh because you're so invested by that time and you're like i just and to me that's like that shouldn't happen in a monster movie but it mm-hmm. did but it's a movie and, about and that's the, the characters right it's yeah, not yeah. a movie about i mean the the characters are are what's happening here yeah and, so it's and i it's, think that it is a constant in his movies right the yeah. horror and stuff informs the character arcs but not yeah is not the main point right yeah but yeah. i like that the fly the fly followed up by dead ringers and dead ringers was a real departure for him because there's really not a lot of gore mm-hmm. it's all psychological but it mm-hmm. has the impact of a gut punch i mean it's just jeremy irons playing the dual role of the twins and they had done a lot of like experimental rotoscope stuff to make it so they could he could have scenes with himself and it's pretty impressive when you watch it even today because they weren't doing the digital 
And so you had to do it all practical and it's just amazing. And that's like, I watched dead ringers, uh, after it had come out and it just, it, every time I watch it, I get, that's the one that makes me cringe the most mm -hmm. because it's literally, I mean, I don't have a uterus, but God damn it. It just, I feel like, Oh, every time I watch that thing and it's so, <laughs> so impactful, it's just a nutty, but one of the best things is Jeremy Irons. It's just, that's a performance for the ages. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so good. That's so it's good. funny. That's probably his his best film, but it's also his well, his best Hollywood film, but it's also right, really right. underrated. I mean, I don't yeah. think a lot of people saw it. Did they? They it, uh, probably on video. It, I mean, it, it was the height a, of the video yeah. revolution. It was yeah. I mean, I mean it was marketed very heavily, but it was marketed as like from the creator of the fly. And it's like, but yeah, it's yeah. totally right, not writing that. the coattails. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think didn't didn't Irons get a get an award for that or get a nomination at least i want to say he did but but yeah it's just it but it it also has that underlying dread through the entire deal uh and it's still all the same obsessions yeah uh, you get the body horror stuff but it's more inferred than actually explicitly shown uh but from the get-go it's just that seedy sort of dread that really hits you with dead ringers i mean it's just it's palpable <laughs> so i gotta give him i gotta give him all kinds of kudos for that one because it's just i never expected it when i watched it and then i left going i i feel changed somehow <laughs> i don't know how to explain it but that's yeah. just, that's like the, one of the first times that ever happened to me watching a movie <laughs> so it's so weird uh, uh and then there's the naked lunch which is one of yes. my other my other big favorite of his I, uh, I love this movie so much yes i can't even i can't even begin to tell you yeah how much I, of I watched is, is william I've s seen burroughs it. versus how much of that is cronenberg so it's both uh, it's, it's a nice weird melding it's a melding okay. yeah uh, it, i yeah it's funny it's like with any adaptation i think the original they're like they're supplying more than enough building materials for a movie, but they're not making a movie. And it's up to yeah. the filmmaker to come in and make sense of that shit. The Naked Lunch is one of those books that for years was considered unfilmable. Yeah. And I think and it's, he, yeah. he figured it out that the movie is really about, you know, being in the closet. The whole movie is this guy who's a closeted homosexual and doesn't want to come out. And all the weirdness that happens is, is born from that yeah and i like that it's you're never quite sure is it a hallucination is it real what the hell is going on mm. and he does and he never really tells you yeah this is real and this is not it's all just sort of this weird fever dream from the start mm -hmm. and it just it leaves you unmoored through the entire thing and i love it so I like i saw it in a theater and we were what like 20. yeah and it just it blew my mind i was like and i watched it i think like three or four more times before it left a theater because I was just so like, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. And then when yeah. it came out on video, like just do like rip a rip a bong hit and just let it ride for two hours. I mean, it's just like, oh God. <laughs> I was so taken with just the concept of Interzone and the right. the idea that you would have a pretty straight film going in, you know, like taking place in a normal world, and then you you go to a place that is supposed to exist somewhere on this earth, but you know what is it it's morocco it's central park it's it's yeah. just it's just a non-reality of everywhere and i just love that yeah. um but the fact that you're like snorting bug powder and shooting 
mugwump mm-hmm. jism uh, just like matter of factly i mean he just he yeah. did it all so straight that it, it becomes this like weird norish um, yeah yeah kind of thing and it's just it's i mean it to me it's just you can't it's it's pinnacle filmmaking and you watch it and i'm like this man is pretty much is a self-taught filmmaker and the fact that over 25 30 years he gets to this level of technique it's just mm-hmm. astonishing to me mm-hmm. especially when you compare it to like shivers his first film i mean it's it's fun but it's it's rough right and then and then you finally get to this where it's like it's very slick everything is in its right place i mean it's just it's tight mm-hmm. so good job but i but i i know- we should not absolve the audience from no really there's you know it like the fly there's you know gross shit going on mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah yeah uh, yeah uh, uh, yeah i mean they're like getting high from what milking the semen from alien heads there's Mugwumps. yeah yeah giant brazilian centipedes and like uh uh uh, uh cockroach typewriters that you rub drugs into their anus and yeah it's yeah it is it is Practical it is effects. it's it's kind of a cronenberg comedy if you think about it <laughs> i mean almost but like when uh when peter weller ends up shooting judy davis in the head which is mm. literally what happened with burroughs uh it's just he he doesn't comment on it he just puts it in there it's like you can be the judge you know did this really happen did he murder her was yeah. it an accident i mean it's like all the stuff from the book but it's just you know washes over you during the just it's so well done it's the hard final to explain. the final scene of the film is when they're coming to the border him and judy dench as they have refound or rekindled judy, their love judy davis yeah, judy yeah. davis sorry why did i say that yeah. judy davis and the you know he says to the uh guard at the border that he's a writer and the guard says prove it and so he says well it's time to do our william tell thing she puts the apple on her head he shoots her in yeah. the forehead again and the guard says okay you can come through and i remember right. seeing that in the theater and going okay this makes total sense to me why does this make total sense this should be so bizarre i'm confused but no he's yeah, basically yeah. saying prove you're a writer he says okay and he shares basically the pain of his art with him only we we show it he doesn't tell him a story he shows him a story and yeah yeah <laughs> it's but you're right it is that level of technique that he can do something that is really risky with an audience yeah and have it make total sense i mean yeah 91 that was a uh a watershed year for me because it was naked lunch and barton fink both came mm-hmm. out around the same time mm. and that's reservoir dogs like the, yeah but like naked lunch and barton fink were the two that i watched so much <laughs> at that yeah. time and so they're part of me i just like if i think like my favorite cronenberg films uh video drum is tops and the naked lunch is just a very strong second 1991 the pinnacle year for tortured writers yeah (laughs) yeah yeah uh but uh but those are my top two and that hasn't shifted in at least 15 20 years same you know same exact same uh yeah I i made this list of his films so that i could you know reference them during our talk and i am in right. total agreement and in yeah. that order yeah so <laughs> but if i'm but if i'm being real uh the the second phase uh that's kind of the pinnacle for me i'm i'm not up on his films beyond that apart from mm-hmm. just a, i think of of like was it two four six eight ten twelve fourteen so like 15 films uh in the years since 91 
Uh, I think I've seen like four of them. Yeah. I, so, so where I tough. bounced was Crash. I watched Crash. I still and, have never seen Crash. Nothing about it said, watch this movie. <laughs> it's, I mean. It's it's tough, right? It seems like it's a rough watch. Here, okay. I, I, I found it last night on that um, archive.org site where we found so many yeah. great. Before we get to Crash, though, he did an adaptation of M. Butterfly, which was a big deal play. I mean, it was right. it was something that was playing for years on Broadway and was, you know, it's the David Henry Huang version of Madam Butterfly that you're probably not going to be able to see a, a staged production of it. Um, the The film is so-so, honestly. It, it really seems like a bad idea that he did this film. Um, <laughs> and it's so weird because Naked Lunch did not do a lot of business. So you'd mm -hmm. think that any reasonable filmmaker would go, well, I probably need to do one that's going to, you know, make some money, keep the, keep the wheels churning. But in true Cronenberg fashion, he's like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to do this thing. Cause it's interesting to me. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just and like, the thing is, like, what? <laughs> it is a really interesting story and butterfly, but it's, it's so flat, you know, um, it, it, and it actually makes sense with Naked Lunch because it is, um, especially for the early 90s, sort of a daring look at homosexuality and right. you know, whether or not it's even real, you know, whether or not our fear of it is, is you know, worth a shit. So in that way, it's very forward thinking as a play, as a film. It's just. Yeah. So then I mean, you get. You yeah, go I ahead. think it's because he didn't actually write it because uh, I think the strongest aspect of most of his career up to Naked Lunch is that with the exception of the dead zone, he wrote mm -hmm. every single one of them. Yeah. With M. Butterfly, yeah. you start to see where he's just doing the directing. He's not doing the script. So yeah, it was a directing job. Same same yeah. with uh, Dead Zone, which we also have a problem with. He didn't write it or produce it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I think so. I think again, it was it was a job. I mean, right. But, but yeah, I'm not knowing much about it because it just it just went disappearo. Nobody talks yeah. about it ever. But then you get Crash, mm. which just blew up everything at Con because yeah. it just it Un was so divisive and unfairly maligned. I really believe that. I watched it for the first time last night. I've been hearing about this film for years, but I could never find it anywhere. I watched it. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it it's does fine. not deserve yeah. the infamy that it has. Um, right. It is about a group of people who have a fetish around car crashes. And if you think of it, we don't have, we wouldn't have a problem with this now because we have so many people with so many fetishes today. Right. The thing is, he doesn't, again, he won't judge them. He won't say, yeah, getting a hard on over watching, you know, roadside accidents is bad and you shouldn't do that. The film had none of that. I just, and I think that's what yeah. freaked people out. Well, I just remember like the stories would circulate and I honestly, because I still haven't seen it. Uh, so I don't know if it's true or not, but like people like whispering in the dark about how there's like a scene where like somebody fucks an open wound at the crash side. I mean, it's just like, and just yeah, like no. you, have, you read that, you're like, is that, that's like, come on, man, seriously. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. And so it just, I think the movie sort of got eclipsed by all of the, the weird controversy around it yeah. at the time. 
Yeah, so people, sort of- people got off on the controversy, and these are people who didn't see the movie. That's the right. that's what really is mm. hilarious. I come to find that like Ted Turner had this whole thing about it's gonna encourage kids to smash their cars and fuck, you know, and he didn't see <laughs> the film. Yeah. It's like you don't get to say yeah. uh, you don't get to say nothing if you didn't see I it. With, that's yeah. And again, again, with the moral panic, I mean, Cronenberg just seems to invite it almost. It's just Mm -hmm. so weird. No. So the reason I I bounce here, though, is is really so Eric, you know, you were talking about earlier about how, you know, you have a strong reaction to cringe in movies, right? Mm -hmm. I have a strong reaction to like knives and needles piercing skin and shit. And like this keeps Cronenberg at a distance for me in general. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right right like i don't want to look at it it bugs me and yeah. you know and crash is is literally fetishizing some of this i mean it it's actually it's it's in a lot of ways it's a tale of empowerment for disabled people right it's people owning their trauma and even sexualizing it and you know and and not letting these these injuries ruin their lives but turning them into like the catalyst for their whole like sex Mm-hmm. um you know their kink um but yeah i don't know i just it was a it was sort of an unsettling movie to watch you got um uh rosanna arquette with her leg braces and you know scars and stuff who's sort of like really i mean it's it's yeah the it's the, the bit the bit with um spader and all of those pins in his leg when yeah. i first saw that i kind of went Argh. but I, I i find it more interesting that's uh in researching this film the walkouts the majority of the walkouts happened when uh uh james spader and uh elias costas Coteus. i think Coteus. 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 when yeah. when they have their gay sex scene that's when people leave not during the violence not during the uh yeah, uh, the, the the other bizarre things. Two dudes going at it is what made made well, people go. Eh. But that was the the time. I mean, that's the same when like uh, Crying Game came out. Like when mm-hmm. you get to the point where it's like it's a dude, and like I remember because I was dating uh, <laughs> Rachel, who ran the, the the movie theater, and I was I was just visiting her at work, and I remember somebody came out and demanded their money back, and they'd already <laughs> sat through like an hour, like over an hour of the movie. And it got mm-hmm. to that point, and they were so offended. I was like, "Get out of here!" So like, <laughs> none, of that, none of that's changed. So yeah, yeah, Gay sex in a movie. What? But I think it's the same thing. Like the way I don't know you, 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 you know, you describe the the needles and the the scary sort of horror nest, which I don't judge. I, I I understand that's that 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 yeah, just squeamish. That can turn it's your fine. yeah squeamish. Yeah, yeah perfect. But the idea that what people aren't admitting is that they're squeamish over two dudes going at it, which I think <laughs> is, you know, it's it's not even two dudes. It's the sort of acceptance of their own sexuality that right. happens to involve car crashes, but it could be anything that's you know weird and not vanilla. Right. And I think that's what made people sort of cringe. The idea that there's other ways of looking at it and, oh, my God, I am not necessarily... I don't necessarily, you know, know everything. Right. I'm well, just too. Well, thematically, yeah, yeah, you get one body, so you know, what are you going to mm-hmm. do with it while you've got it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Let people yeah. do their shit. Yeah. And they're really yeah. just sort of accepting their death. 
that's the other thing they're fetishizing mm-hmm. their own death in the end james spader's like you know he he runs his, his wife off the road and he asks her are you all right she says yeah i think i'm all right he says okay well maybe next time which means we're going to keep doing this uh you know <laughs> yes yeah. i mean it's just it's just because this is sort of like his uh lost ark of the covenant kind of movie it's like it's it's the one i think that gets him the most notoriety even today mm-hmm. because it's still such a controversial hard watch i think mm-hmm. i mean every time I, I think about yeah i finally need to sit down and watch it then i kind of think about all of the stuff that i've seen about it and the scenes and i'm like i just don't think i could sit through it i really yeah. don't i don't know if i have it in me so yeah, it's- the, the thing i wasn't expecting was how beautiful it is it is so well crafted it's oh, yeah it is a really good film it is absolutely worthy of uh more attention than it has it, well no it has a fuck ton of attention it it deserves well, to be seen more i love the fact that coppola was the president of the Cannes film festival mm. at the time and he fucking hated it and he did not want anything even remotely re- re- resembling a prize given to it and yeah. so they that's when they created the special jury prize to circumvent that it's the <laughs> only time that anybody's ever like given the special jury prize at con because they were like screw you coppola we like this movie it's audacious yeah yeah <laughs> don't make like, another uh, dracula you fucking failure yeah really <laughs> heart like a wheel Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. yeah that's uh, right if we did a coppola show it would be nothing but retching yeah uh, so, so we come so into this interesting sorry go ahead like crash seems like it's this weird like apex it's like it's not exactly downhill from there mm-hmm. but it's a really spotty weird uh filmography from this point yeah. out i look at it like this he he was making again we have that first bit where he's making low budget horror films but he's learning to he's finding his voice and right. then we come into the hollywood era where the money that makes films is interested in hearing his voice and hearing what he has to say right. when what he has to say is crash that's when they run for the door but he keeps Ooh. doing his thing yeah well i like that and, he comes back with existence which is like just sort of a cronenberg's greatest hits kind of so, movie. Yeah, yeah okay so here's the thing it's it weird. keeps telling me to watch existence and i still haven't bothered to because and i think that a lot of people had the same reaction i did which is still my reaction, which is, well, I can watch Why? The Matrix and I can watch Videodrome and I don't need to watch the mashup. Right? That's exactly <laughs> what it is, though. And it's so funny that it comes out in 99 because it's just it it just sort of lands and it, it literally is that it's sort of like it's got the weird body horror stuff. I mean, they're literally like making uh, handguns out of bones with like teeth as the bullets. I mean, it's just like this weirdly organic but gross thing, but it's tied into video games and virtual reality that we knew it at the time. And so it's just this weird mishmash of stuff. But when I watch it, I'm like, well, that's just, that's just him pulling cards from all his other stuff that we like so much. And it just sort of is, it's not bad. It just sort of is. Let's, let's do just in keeping with the, the, okay. uh, So this third era, which lasts up until now is uh, eight films which is Existence, Spider, A History of Violence, Eastern Promises, A Dangerous Method, Cosmopolis, Maps to the Stars, and Crimes of the Future, which 
it's funny, actually. Eastern Promises and A History of Violence actually got pretty wide release. Yeah, I, was I think there was something of a comeback for him. Isn't isn't the yeah, yeah. real demarcation line a history of violence? Like Existence and Spider are sort of the like, okay, the the party's over on the the sort of heyday, and history of violence is the comeback. I think so. Yeah, I would say I would yeah. say so. Well, I and would I, I would also I would like to say though before we depart, it Spider is probably my favorite film of all of his. I mean, and it's the least known. Like, I don't think anybody's going to go, oh, Spider. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's weird that you would like fixate on that one. It's it's less about body horror than schizophrenia from the perspective of, of a schizophrenic and his memories of childhood. It's it's a guy who is released from uh, a mental institution who goes to live in a halfway house that is a house he may have grown up in. And he is reliving his memories of childhood that are fucking horrible. It, it's it, yeah, and it's Ray Fiennes doing a fucking awesome job doing the heavy lifting on this very tough movie. Yeah, I just think it's funny that it's your favorite, and you have just said you've got an, an avowed fear of spiders. Mm-hmm. Yet you say your favorite Cronenberg movie is called Spider. Yeah, it's funny, it's just, it? because it's just funny. It's there's just no funny. spiders. I mean, yeah, it's ironic. He is spider. That's the guy is spider. Uh, okay. There aren't actual spiders in here. Also, okay. I think it's funny that you know when Brian, when you you mentioned the cringe factor of 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 wounds, I'm like, you know what? I would rather be stabbed in the eye than have to ask a girl out on a date again. That's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that over nice that to cringe. Your wife, then. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. We both agree. Both of us are like, yeah, yeah. You know, if when you go, I'm just hanging myself. I can't put up with this shit. <laughs> but yeah, so we, 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 yeah, yeah, we, we have these the history of violence. Yeah, yeah. Yes, low budget, uh, sort of, and again, great films. He's still doing his own thing, but he teams up with Viggo Mortensen to great effect. Mortensen, Mortensen, Mortenstein. Morton Mort- Mortiner Stern. Well, I this can't one's say got his a, name. Yeah, this one's got a stacked cast too because it's Viggo Mortensen, but also Maria Bello. Then you get Ed Harris, who's always the best when he gets to be unhinged, and he's mm-hmm. so unhinged in this. And then William Hurt, who's just sort of always when William Hurt gets to play like a really fucked up, broken dude, that's when I like him the most. And so this like hits a lot of the buttons for me, but it's also, it's so violent. It's like, it's a gangster movie from start to stem and, uh, based on like a graphic novel, if I remember correctly. And it just, it's, it's taught, it's super Mm -hmm. taught. And so it's rightfully a, a comeback of sorts because 2005, everybody was talking about this thing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's an action film that is not an action film. It's like right. you have a lot of gun violence, but none of it is fun. Yeah. Uh, the, so the, it's, it's, the, the robbery in the, the diner where he does the coup de gras on the guy. It's, it's yeah. like, it's really, really gross, but it's exactly the kind of thing you'd see in a Van Damme film and go right on, dude. Well, that's yeah. what's so but brilliant like about Steve, it. Right. It yeah. is exactly that. It's like they, they do just a typical fight scene but then they show you what that did to the participants in the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, could you imagine watching a John Wick movie where they made it realistic like that? 
It's like oh, you'd never God. watch another John Wick movie. You'd be right? like, oh, that's I'm appalled. I'm never that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So so I like that he takes that expectation of the action movie and he kind of just turns it on its head, which is why this one works so well for me. Because it's yeah. you're you know, you're all gung-ho for the the gunplay and all that, but it's like when you see the actual results of that, then you start going, Oh God. And then that dread starts creeping in again. And it's just it's it's masterful as far as I'm concerned. He just nails it every time. So good job. Hmm. But Eastern then, promises, I don't I don't like so much. I don't know what yeah. to do with. Yeah. And it's not because he has a a, a fist fight like completely nude, which I think is that it's that's funny. kind it's of funny almost. It's funny, but again, it makes perfect sense for Cronenberg, someone who is afraid for his body, <laughs> that you are in a yeah. fight with a guy who has a knife and you're naked. I mean, the whole time yeah. I'm watching, I'm going, oh, he's going to cut his dick off. Yeah. It's just, it's just goofy. Yeah. But it's just, uh, but it's just sort of, eh. and it's, and this is where we're in the realm where he's doing movies that he's not writing. So it's mm -hmm. also got a weird flavor. Like Eastern Promises is the, uh, the guy that did Peaky Blinders. And so it's got a lot of the same elements, but Peaky Blinders is so much better. So I mm. just, it, it's a weird, like everybody, I've, I've read a lot of lists where people put Eastern Promises near the top and I just don't get it. It yeah. just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I don't remember much of it. And you're right, looking at this this third phase, let's see, Existence, he directed and wrote and produced. Yeah. Uh, Spider, he produced. And Cosmopolis, he directed, wrote, and produced. But otherwise, these are all um, just directing assignments. Yeah. Or adaptations. But yeah, it's just weird. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird grab bag, this later part of his career. But he's obviously just doing what he wants right. at this stage. And he That's just why he's care. it's like, yeah, he's still interesting. He's still worth watching. Even yeah, I thought Crimes of the Future was disappointing, but it doesn't matter. Because he's still he's still chugging along, and I want to see what yeah. he does next. I mean, in this regard, it's almost like uh, like you can transpose it to like Terry Gilliam's career. It's he's still mm. doing bizarre and interesting things, but it's obviously stuff that's just bizarre and interesting to him. And if you watch it, that's great. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, he could really not give a damn. And that's mm -hmm. sort of the vibe I get from this later portion. So it's. It's interesting to me. Oh, like I mean, Cosmopolis's been is, around for it, a while too. Like how old is David yeah, like, Cronenberg, right? He's like, he's 80. like 80 now. Yeah. Yeah, he gets to do whatever. So, <laughs> you, dude. No. He's a but, Canadian national that, treasure. Yes. Yeah. But the fact that he does a movie about Sigmund Freud that just seems weird to me and then he follows it up with Cosmopolis, which is a Don DeLillo book, which is just Robert Pattinson as a billionaire who's bored. He just like drives around town in his limo. And stuff just kind of happens around him. It's just so weird that these are the the things that he's doing now. He's like just yeah. like totally pitched all the body horror stuff out the window, and he's just doing these weird. Well, like, Crimes of the Future is body horror, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. God, kind with of. bells yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. 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 But but Cosmopolis is perfect for its time with the whole uh, Occupy Wall Street thing, where right, right. you have this this billionaire kid rolling around in his 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 limo yeah but he is fully self-destructive the whole film is him trying to find a way to die and but he does it so 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 i don't know stylishly so 
quippily. Yeah. You don't see it coming. I don't know. It's, I think for it its seems, time, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, it seems like a counterbalance to something like American Psycho. You know what I mean? Ooh, it's sort of yeah. like a, it's like a cerebral version of American Psycho almost. It's just yeah. weird. Only oh yeah, it's like his self involvement isn't like aimed towards gratification. It's aimed towards you know free me of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so it's, yeah. this is this is where I think you know I'll I'll sort of make my my final statement, which is David Cronenberg is a perfect example of the value of having well the Canadian government paying to make movies. Oh yeah, right. Like yeah, yeah. This this allows off about it. for the non-commercial artistic statements to happen. And right. if you if you're ever wondering why people want government funding of the arts, look no further than David Cronenberg, because you yeah, don't get this true. in Hollywood. I, yeah. And to that end, I love the fact that uh, like Shivers and Rabbit come out and people were pissed off because they're like tax dollars went to this. And Cronenberg's literally going, well, they turned a profit. I actually made money for Canada. So eat a dick. I mean, yeah, that's literally his take on it. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh. I don't know. People who don't understand the value of the arts in a society are part of why the society will crumble. I'm sorry. That's just yeah. it. But, but but also for us, for our generation, I think you you definitely would be remiss if you do not count Cronenberg as one of the top tier mm-hmm. uh, filmmakers. Because, uh, yeah, you get like Spielberg and, and Lucas, and then you get like De Palma and all these other heavy hitters. But I cannot think of any where you look at their filmography and every single one of those movies is going to make you go what the fuck and you start having to think about (laughs) other stuff exactly like philosophy and existentialism and you know your own self image and and it always makes you question things and i don't know of any other filmmaker uh of the era that has done i'm like you can go back to like godard uh, or maybe Bergman have that same sort of impact, but that's mm. a totally other vibe. Yeah. Whereas Cronenberg is very much in tune with here's the technology, this is the stuff we've got now, but let's be very aware of what it can do to us <laughs> as human yeah. beings. And that's always at the center of his stuff. And it's just always fascinating to me. Right. And so that's like why he, I think will, he deserves his place. He shows you really like, I don't know uncomfortable things and then makes you ask yourself why is this uncomfortable to me exactly because it's not obvious stuff it's it's not you know like i i I get being uncomfortable at you know being mauled in a car accident i don't necessarily get why it would get somebody horny (laughs) yeah (laughs) well who's to say kink is kink man yeah yeah exactly Uh, so well go ahead yeah go ahead i'd say all i would end with is uh like what's your what's your top three like eric and i have nailed uh videodrome and uh naked, naked lunch. lunch yeah and then yeah. i would probably put, i would probably yeah i would probably put the flies number three just because it's so goddamn entertaining mm. i so would those are my top three i would probably i don't know i would say spider i want to actually say spider is my number one but right it's it's such a tight tight race with naked lunch and video drum but spiders yeah. way up there i'm surprised you didn't say fast company <laughs> anyway yeah uh, what about you <laughs> what about you brian no i i agree with you it's video drum naked lunch and the fly right like okay yeah no problem We're on the same page here 
Yeah. Like we're one mind. We're like a hive mind at this point. <laughs> so, so in the years we've been doing this podcast, by far the longest episode is our Quentin Tarantino filmography retrospective. And right. it'll be interesting to see if this one is longer than that, because it might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I didn't mean for say, this to be a let's oh, review no, no, every film of his career. But yeah, yeah it's fine. But, but at least this time compared to the Tarantino, we're actually, you know, happy about it. Like, like mm-hmm. the there Tarantino one was like a hate watch thing. <laughs> fuck this and fuck that. This one's like, I love it. I love it. I love it. So I'd rather anyway, that's my way of saying I'm going to wrap it up. Good. Yeah, wrap it up, <laughs> right. don't you? Wrap so, it up. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to us for this long. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to it and share it on our social media feeds and rate it on iTunes. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. And that's where you'll find links to all our socials, and including to X Twitter. Um, uh, where we're Mag Huge and our Facebook and Instagram, and then you can always email us uh, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com and tell us what you want to hear about next. We'll yeah. be back. I'll live the new flesh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>